What do today's fastest growing direct consumer brands all have in common? They use Klaviyo to personalize their marketing, build their customer relationships, and automate their online sales. Whether it's a new subscriber or your most loyal customer, growing your e-commerce business starts with creating amazing marketing experiences. Discover winning marketing strategies in Klaviyo's new video series, Ready, Set, Grow. Each week, you'll explore key tactics of some of Klaviyo's more than 17,000 customers who use these to grow their business. To tune in to Ready, Set, Grow, and to receive even more helpful content, visit klaviyo.com slash blend. That's K-L-A-V-I-Y-O dot com slash B-L-E-N-D. Okay, guys, so we talk about email and SMS a lot on our show, but some of you said to me recently, well, what about the people inside of brands? What are they really doing? And in all honesty, look, it's a fair point. So what I was thinking about is that we need to get someone on the shows from a brand that is trying to balance that focus on acquisition and retention and someone is that is doing email and SMS day in, day out. So Ladies and gentlemen, you know that I don't like to disappoint. So it's an absolute pleasure to welcome Gabe Kovacs, who's the VP of marketing for Anne-Marie Skincare. So Gabe, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, look, it, it's cool. And I think, look, Gabe, like I said to you before we started recording, yo, I know our listeners love to hear from people that are, are doing what we talk about on the show on a, on a, a direct kind of real basis. And I think what would be a good place to start for today is that can you tell us maybe a little bit about who Anne-Marie Skincare is, who your customer is, and maybe sort of give us a flavor of the kind of typical AOV as well? Definitely. Okay. So Anne-Marie Skincare, we are a direct-to-consumer skincare company. We do body care. We do facial skincare. But our whole our whole shtick is that everything is made with organic ingredients. It's wild-crafted. And we've been in this space for about 14 years now. So we're kind of OGs in the clean skincare space. Our founders, they're they're married, Anne-Marie and Kevin. They started by, they had a show on YouTube years ago, early YouTube ages, um, you know, in the 2004, you know, that time. And it was called the Renegade Health Show. And they would go all across the world and they would look at natural healthcare products and they would showcase those products and talk about healthy eating and putting good things in your body and, and things like that. They kind of became celebrities in that whole whole food space. They would walk into a Whole Foods and people would say, oh my God, Kevin and Ann Marie are here. And, and you know, they, they eventually found their way into skincare. But it was all about the ingredients, about being just transparent and true to the audiences, not putting fillers. You know, we have a list of 5,000 ingredients that we block list from our, our products. But we're not in that group of these big, massive skincare companies that are that are you know, really fighting for customers by shaving off you know, costs and, and things like that. So for us, it's all a bit about the integrity and it's been an entire organic build for this company. Our audience is, as you can imagine for skincare, is geared more towards women and is we target the older audience. So 50 and up is really our sweet spot. We love this audience purely. It's a very, very loyal audience. It's an audience that you have to treat differently in your in your communication strategies. They like to read a lot more. So less focus on 
pretty pictures, more focus on storytelling and telling the reason why and things like that. So a little bit of a different approach there, but not so different. And our AOV is typically around $100 and $110. These products are not cheap. Yeah. That's awesome. And look, that's fantastic context because I think, you know, a lot of people listening to this who are involved with e-commerce and marketing, you know, would appreciate that there's going to be slightly different tax that you need to use. I guess the question I've got for you is like on a personal level, I know you've worked at, at other companies as well. How do you kind of worked with this particular demographic previously? And was there anything that maybe surprised you about what is responded well to in marketing and what is it? Yeah. I mean, great question. So, I mean, I started out my career working for Beats Headphones before they were part of Apple and, you know, working with Monster Cable and those guys. And then we started a new headphone brand called Solar Public. And I was, you know, the fifth employee there that was targeting college kids, you know, college students, very different audience. And we we're going to work with the biggest DJs in the world, you know, working with the biggest retailers in the world and putting those kind of disruptive marketing strategies together. Over the pandemic, I ran retention for a company called 310 Nutrition. They're one of the largest direct-to-consumer shake brands, like Think Protein Shakes. And that's when I really started to learn about this, you know, the, the older demographic. We were targeting you know, women in the 50s and 60s, and, and it's a really nice niche to be in. I like it. It's a lot less competitive. And, and yes, it's focusing more on the emotions, using those stories, like I said before, but it's a lot, I don't know, it's, it's, I, I per, really prefer that audience. You can send a lot more content to that audience with less unsubscribes. And yeah, it's, it's just a little bit different. But to be honest, from all these brands that I've worked for, it's, it's really the same strategy is finding out what are those intricacies that each audience needs and wants. And so that's, that's really what it is. I mean, dealing with the, you know, the, the, the millennials and Gen Zs is not so different than dealing with, you know, the the boomers and the Gen Xs. It's just what are the stories that you're telling and how are you telling those stories? I mean, it, it sounds up like to me that what you're saying here as well is that it's you when you look at marketing, you very much see this as a two-way process as well. Because you know, it's very clear to me that you're you're talking about the fact that you need to communicate to understand better, to then be a better marketer. And I, I guess what it sounds like what you're saying is that look, that understanding communication piece is probably more important than the actual, I guess, end outputs that you you produce. A hundred percent. I mean, I, I look at it really as the entire customer journey. So I, I always use this analogy of like every piece is a link in the chain from the first touch to the brand, to them coming to your site and experiencing your your stories, to them signing up for your newsletter to them coming and looking at a product, to viewing your social, to purchasing, to referring their friend, and then coming back for an additional purchase. So it's all part of the the, the customer journey. And every link is really related to each other. It's, it's interesting. You mentioned you have a lot of these tools come on and, and talk on your show. And whenever I talk to any of these companies, a lot of them are very focused on one single piece of the puzzle. And it really is the entire journey that matters. And you can have a really, really great top of the funnel, but if your bottom of the funnel is lacking, you're not going to get those conversions. So it's it's really optimizing every single part of that experience because the customer doesn't care. They will leave you at any point in that experience. And that's just that. There are so many alternative brands right now, hence why retention is so important. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, we're, we're going to definitely be talking about email and SMS in a second, but mm-hmm. you've raised a really good point there is about obviously in terms of the tech that is there and available. I, th- I feel like there is a bit of a friction at the moment in that when new tech comes out, the tech themselves see it as kind of a silver bullet. It's a silo alone. This is going to be the thing that turns the needle. But actually from a brand's point of view, you're kind of saying, well, actually, you are just one out of many different things that we're using. Is that is that accurate? hundred percent. I think so. I mean, I have my opinions in this space, but can you keep a to-do list on a notepad and just check off the items there? Or do you need an in-depth Asana solution that can do all of those things? Both of them can work. Great. Don't get me wrong. But sometimes we have so much power under the hood that's not even being utilized. Right. I mean, that's the the real answer there. Um, you know, some people are saying, oh, I need to move on from Klaviyo or I need to move on from, you know, the, this tool. I need a better tool. But is that better tool really going to help you figure out how to communicate better? Figure out, you know, what you need to actually do with those customers? Probably not. And a lot of these tools, you can get a lot out of it. And before you go to the next thing, by assuming the tool is going to solve your problems, you are, I think, looking at it the wrong way. Many solutions to a problem, and th- there's many ways to to really do it. If I answered and took a demo from every single SaaS company that reached out to me, I wouldn't be able to work. You know, and if I accepted, if I if I literally tried all these tools, we would have no budgets because, like, we get offered tools for literally every little thing out there and you have to make a strategic decision on where are you really getting your ROI from and what really matters for you and your the business that you're working on I mean look it I think you know the thing is it's we need to hear more I guess from tech in terms of what are the actual outcomes what is the thing that it's going to do I think sometimes we can get a bit lost in like okay this is the functionality this is how it looks but but the end of the day What's the job that that thing's going to do that's going to push our brand out? But let me let me move on a little bit and, and let's obviously talk about email and SMS, which is what we we're going to focus on today. And if you think about you know your role as VP of marketing, where does kind of email and SMS sit in terms of the rank of importance for all the different elements of, of marketing that you do? I think it's right up there as number one or number two. To be honest with you, it is for our brand and a lot of the companies that I work with, one of the most effective channels for revenue. It is your direct line to the customer. People are opening their phones, they're opening their their inboxes multiple times throughout the day, and it's a direct launch ad to your website. And you're not necessarily competing with as much as you are in the ad space. On social media, you're competing against a lot more than you really are on um, on email. Yeah, people are subscribed to many different things and they're getting a lot of info in their email inboxes. Yes, but you can get a lot of people coming to your site and you're not paying for those impressions like you are in other channels. SMS as well. I mean, SMS, it's going directly to those individuals. You're getting a snappy message sent right to their, their, their messages inbox. So they're so critical for me. I think that these areas will continue to grow. I don't see any time soon of them stopping. I mean, many people, the first thing they do in the morning is either they, you know, they're opening their inboxes or checking out what they have today. And it's, it's a big part of people's work life. You know, I can tell you right now, many people 
on their work email addresses or subscribe to newsletters for personal stuff. Mm. It's just how we do things, how we get information a lot of ways. You know, you get a longer form conversation and and you can really control the narrative. I mean, I I make a joke at Anne-Marie Skincare because we are very aggressive on our email strategies is we send a magazine a day, basically. One of putting out a magazine a day. We're sending out so much information in our emails every single day, but we're using them strategically as different ways to get people to the website. And same thing with our SMS. Each of them have their place in what we're looking to get our customers to do. Is it get more information? Is it go to a sale? Is it to grab a discount code or a promo or something like that? But it's just such an easy way to stay top of mind. I mean, on the SMS front, do you guys find that, so you run direct campaigns that are SMS only. Do you also use SMS with email to kind of support the email flows that you're, you're sending out as well? Yes. However, I personally don't like to send out the same thing on email and SMS. Like mm. if I'm doing, okay, let's say it's standard, basic, sale, 25% off site-wide, cool. But I don't want to send that exact same thing over SMS because I know a lot of those individuals are seeing the email and it's really easy to unsubscribe to an SMS. It's very easy to lose somebody and, and, and just lose them on that channel. So every SMS that I like to send out has to have a purpose and a meaning for it. Is it in conjunction with a flow, an abandoned cart. Did you forget this? You know, things like that, but also using it to gather information from customers on polls and get information. We send them a sample of something. Did you like the sample? Yes or no? Great. I can get that feedback immediately from customers and I can put them in a different flow to cross it all in on additional products. So SMS, it's still kind of early stages, but you know, we... We need to be smarter with SMS and not just take from the email playbook. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. And I think you know, the other thing I think with SMS too is that there's kind of a little bit of perception, I think, that SMS can only be used for that pushing towards an offer, sale, or discount. But actually, in reality, it needs to be used like the way you guys are using it from you know, eliciting, obviously, feedback, using it as an education piece. And I guess the education piece is important for you, isn't it, with skip with skincare? Because you need to make sure that, that the usage is correct, they've got the right products for their skin type, and obviously so on and so forth. And that always bolsters yeah, the retention that you guys have. Exactly. I mean, I, I couldn't agree more on that. Yeah. On SMS as well, and kind of looking at your email, from a conversion point of view, for Anne-Marie Sinkat, is one converting better than another for you or around about the same? Email significantly outperforms SMS. And the main reason for us on that is just volume. Our list on email is significantly higher than our SMS list. And that's just, that's the main thing there. And also, we can show a lot more in SMS. I mean, at email versus SMS. I mean, SMS, you get X amount of characters or else you're pushing to two text messages which then you're paying double the price to send each one. So email, you just get more out of because you can show more and you can put people in multiple pathways. SMS, you're usually going down one path. And I really try to keep my SMS as segmented as and personal as possible. Whereas with email, you can kind of, you know, you can do a little bit more of the you know, shotgun approach and, and get more, more groups of people and not, go too deep on the segmentations but 
But yeah, I, I would say just overall, we we do much better on email than SMS. Cool. Thanks for sharing that. And on the point of, of you know, sort of segmentation, look, there was a lot of people on LinkedIn like me talking about it. There's a lot of people everywhere who kind of get, you know, really excited about segmentation. In reality, you mentioned that you couldn't take a bit more of a broad approach with email. What are kind of the routes that, that you go down with the segmentation and kind of, you know, what level of depth, you know, on the ground in reality happens? Yeah, that's a great question. So obviously, the more you segment, the smaller those audiences are be, and it's more work for you to put out individualized content for every single person you know, that you're sending to. The best segments and the most focused segments that I have are on my automation. Because if this person goes down this pathway and then they go down this pathway and then they get this message that is very specific to them based on their purchase behavior. As if we're talking about campaign sense, we have to segment everything clearly. I mean, we obviously have various segments, but let's talk about some like unique and fun ones that, you know, a lot of people don't really talk about. A big one that I that I've tested in the past and that I like to do sometimes is segmented sales. If you don't advertise your sale on your website as a certain percentage, you can give different percentages off to different groups of people. And this can unlock a lot of revenue potential for you because a lot of people are worried about putting out big sales and destroying their price credibility. So what you could do is you could segment your customers on likelihood to purchase. And the people that are the most likely to purchase, there's always going to be those customers that you have that you know you could have a 10% off sale, a 5% off sale, and they will no matter what they will buy because they buy every single time that you announce something there's always those customers that you can kind of see that are on the fence. You know, there's those window shoppers. Those, they're those that are waiting for that big sale to make that conversion. So give them a bigger sale and get them to convert on that bigger sale. So I've done those type of things where, you know, you have varying sales from 10% to 30% off and different people get different sales depending on their likelihood of purchasing and things like that. So that's a, that's that's one there. I mean, there's a lot of segments that I've created for uh, different collections of products. Obviously, in the skincare world, we have a lot of information that we collect from our audiences that we can use for our marketing purposes. Like we have our skin assessment on our on our homepage. You sign up for that that skin assessment. We know what your skin concerns are. We know do you have oily skin? Do you have dry skin? Do you have normal combination skin? And I can use all that information to only present you products that you're going to buy. Because why do I want to send content to a person that's not going to buy these products or these products don't even work for, you know? And so it's, so there's kind of the obvious segmenting, like I just said, with, you know, categorizing customers based on the products that they are actually going to buy and not show them things that they're just very likely not to buy. But then there's obviously the, the there's also those segmentations that you go and you try to see, okay, well, what are pockets that we can make additional revenue on these promotions that we're doing, like those staggered sales and and things like that? Yeah, I mean, I, I love what you're saying there because that thing also you, you kind of you demonstrate that point too that you know when we, sometimes the segmentation, you know, you you'll get kind of the stop segments that you know different people say you must have these, but it turns out to me the way you say is you need to kind of explore beyond that and also not be then you know. Focusing, I say, look, well, actually, yeah, we've got five broad segments here. Go down again, and then kind of A/B test those smaller pockets. Mm-hmm. 
wherever he streams in to then lift that kind of obviously conversion there of any close customers. And you know, something that I, you, you kind of alluded to there that is super and linked to segmentation is is personalization. And I almost I always get a bit worried about saying the word personalization now. Because like you were saying before, you know, you probably have a lot of tech providers who are probably saying, look, we have a personalization tool that's based on AI. And I'm sure at which point you go, okay, it's another thing that's coming yeah. live here. But again, from your point of view, what does personalization actually mean in marketing you know, from an Anne-Marie perspective? And do you, second part of that question is, do you think that there is too much of it? Not enough of it. I don't think that there's too much personalization, but I think as you kind of alluded to, personalization is a very broad term. I mean, technically, if you put a person's name in an email, that's personalizing it, right? I mean, but that doesn't really do much there. To me, what I think of personalization is something that is related to your customer journey or buying in some way. We are giving you relevant content to you specifically, not just your name, but are we showing you products that you're likely to buy? Are we showing you, are we presenting information to you that's actually valuable to your journey? You know, I mentioned our skin quiz because that's a big one for us. That's a big top of the funnel for us because we gather so much information from our, our leads from this quiz. And what we actually do is we, we gather your information, then we populate a landing page with six products and a skincare routine that is tailored to your skincare based on the things you answered. And then what I do is I have all of that populate to Klaviyo in somebody's profile. So in somebody's profile, I know typically what stores do they buy at? What products do they you know, typically buy? What skin type do they have? We, we, we have a, a measure for, you know, typically, are they a budget shopper? Are they more into luxury products? And so we use all of that information to present them with offers of other products to get in their journey. So do we have too much personalization now? I mean, we have a lot of personalization tools, but I think, again, it's up to the marketers to decide what are the parameters that we want to personalize for our customers and how does it work for our brand in, in, in getting those individuals to convert. I think what I'm hearing as well from you, Gay, here is that, you know, what, what we're really talking about here when, we, when, when you're saying personalization is, it's about relevancy, isn't it? And it's about the information that you send. I guess what you're giving, you're, you're telling that customer is, Amory Sinkett is for you because we talk about these things that you care about. We have these products that support your skin type. And we have these things in terms of content that fit into your lifestyle that you have. So I guess, I guess sort of that, you know, I feel like, you know, relevancy of, of marketing is, is a better word to describe, I think, what, you know, what we're doing here rather than personalization. Because like you say, you get these horrible images of, you know, hi, Adam, welcome to X store. You know, it's, it's a very different, it's a very different thing that you're doing here, isn't it? It is. And, and I think, you know, the relevancy is, is, is really the key component there. I mean, if you're looking at a clothing brand and they send you an email saying, here's our newest collection, that's great. That's cool. But if you get an email from that same clothing brand saying, hey, Adam, you last purchased this shirt in a medium and people that look at this shirt typically look at these other shirts 
and they all fit really nicely and we think this would look great on you, that is that is you're gonna be a lot more likely to click on that item and enter, you know, that that funnel than just the big batch and blast. And that's 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 really kind of what it comes down to is presenting the information that's going to catch your attention over everything else. I mean, they say that the average person gets hit with 10,000 ads a day. You're only paying attention to what matters to you. Yeah. And, and that's what it is. We have to try to stand out and present you what you want. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I was actually talking to someone yesterday who's developed an app that what essentially we should do is that if you are, you know, particularly apparel brands, you can put in your measurements and it will generate or it has images of models wearing that item in your body shape and size. But what's really neat about it is that then it stores that information and every image that it then shows you a product is of that same model then wearing all the different items you could ever look at in your size. And like, I think again, like for me, that for me is relevancy. It, it's showing information in the way that that person needs to receive it. So I, I'm going to see that the parallel is there. Um, the important thing I think to say as well probably gave here is that, look, when, when we talk about email and SMS, we moved on to like personalization segmentation. All of this really is kind of boiling down to one thing is that it's going towards retention. And we keep hearing a lot about retention. Look, I've always been a big believer in it. I feel like the past sort of 12 months, it's kind of come to the full as this kind of, you know, do we need to move away, rebalance acquisition versus retention? Why do you think that's happened? Why is it kind of floating to the top now in in your opinion? This is a huge topic right now. A lot, a lot of people talking about retention. And 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 I'm really glad because it's 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 my avenue. It's it's what I've positioned myself in my career as an expert in. And a lot of it has to do with just these costs of advertising on digital platforms. It is very difficult to drive new customers successfully through social media ads. It's getting more and more expensive every year. I mean, you talk to a lot of e-commerce brands, talk to every single brand in direct-to-consumer e-commerce, and that is a hot topic. It's how much money they have to spend to acquire new customers. Many brands are losing money on getting those initial orders through the door. And then they have to rely on retention to make that money back in an LTV play. So the other thing too is Shopify has made it very easy for many brands to start. And there are a lot of new brands coming out every day. There's a lot of competitors out there. You know, we are competing with retail. We are competing with other direct-to-consumer brands. And that's just the, the reality there too. So holding on and building loyal customers is key. The other thing that, you know, a lot of times tied to retention is subscriptions and customers that are on subscription. You know, the subscriptions are your insurance policy. That's the revenue that you know you're going to get. And if you if you maintain a, you know, if you don't have a lot of people canceling after you know, X amount of time, you just maintain a steady number of those subscribers, you know, that is money that you will get that is very helpful to brands to forecast, you know, their for the future. So that's another piece there is, is you want to keep your customers because you need these customers. Getting new customers is expensive. And that you can leverage your existing customers to get new customers as well. So it's, I don't know, there's, there's, a, lot of, there's a lot of pieces you know, to cover here. 
Another one is, are you a brand or are you a product? And brand is going to have retention and have those people stick around. If you're just a product and they're just interested in in that one thing that you offer, but nothing else that is that additional feeling from the brand that allows you, you know, that causes you to stick. Yeah. You're not going to have a, a solid retention program. So there's there's just a lot of things there. But the biggest importance I think is ads are so expensive, it's really hard to drive new customers. So you got to keep hold of those existing customers that you have. And that's so critical. I mean, the, there's there's so much I want to talk about in there, Gabe. What, what I think the first one I want to start with is, in terms of the increase in, obviously, the cost of, of paid acquisition, I was reading some stats recently that the the estimate is that typical brands, the cost of acquiring has gone up between 30 and 40 times over the past 18 months. Are those kind of figures that, that you recognize? Yeah, 100%. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's frankly, it, it's just crazy, you know, and, and to not then, you know, want to focus on it. But I think what's interesting with e-commerce, if you think about the past 10 years, we've kind of had two separate movements kind of ebbing and flowing. So I think the one is, is you had the drop shipping movement of sort of like 10 years ago. So you had people that were subscribed to that model, all about obviously acquisition. You've then had kind of these passion brands who have gone pure D2C, who understood that actually they need to community build in the start to then obviously get the LTV. I just wonder whether, you know, in terms of internally within businesses, is there this kind of clash of culture, which is kind of, you know, creating this, this kind of almost tension between, okay, we're on the acquisition side, we're on the retention side. Is, is that something you think that's happening? I've seen it before. I mean, I was once at a company that was so aggressive on spending for Facebook ads, we spent $100,000 a day on Facebook ads. And it was all about how much can we spend? We want to be the biggest spenders in our category. And that was because we wanted to build the top of the funnel as much as possible. And we knew we were going to lose money on that. But we were getting people in at these entry-level offers and we knew that through retention and through our email and SMS program, we could get those people to come back and buy a second order at full price. Mm. We could get, even if we got 10% of those people to come back and buy an order at full price, we would have made our money back 100%. No problems there. So we try to stick with a healthy 20 to 30% return rate on those customers. But so does it create kind of friction in the, of course it does. I mean, it, 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 it does because they're very competitive spaces. I mean, sometimes I would look at all these people coming and I'm just saying, oh my gosh, I'm going to make so much money on this to just pay this whole thing off because it's a constant flow of these people. But the biggest, the biggest areas that I always had, you know, frustrations with when dealing with the other side of the department of the media side buying is. Not all of these leads are created equal. You have many people that are coming in and they will just buy that cheap offer. I think of it as like the chewing gum when you're checking out at the grocery store. They will buy that thing from an ad just because they like the good deal and they want to do that and they probably won't come back. Then there's another type of customer that might come in through that ad that has interest to potentially try other products or you know, buy full-size products or there's there's an opportunity to get more of a stickiness with that customer. And sometimes 
those departments that are doing media buying are really just trying to get sheer numbers and seeing how many people can we get for the door because that's what their bosses want. When that customer that they might be getting for that cheaper, you know, that cheaper um, cost might not necessarily be the best customer to convert into a loyal customer for the brand. So that's where I more kind of see the the, the frustrations there. And then it just it's just you as a marketer have to get as smart as possible to usher all of those customers into a journey that will hopefully get them to convert over a 90-day period. So it's easy being a master, isn't it? Super easy, super simple. It is. Yeah. <laughs> Simple and easy. Yeah. That thing, you know, associated with this is a lot of these, you know, I've met with so many ESPs and so many ex, yeah, the people that work for the, 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 the tools and they say, you Gabe, you don't have a welcome flow. Why, why don't you have a welcome flow? And I tell them, I say, well, I have thir- 13 to 20 welcome flows because every single customer needs a different welcome flow. You can't just say, hey, welcome to our brand. Like that's, that was 10 years ago, you know? Now you have to say, welcome and thank you for buying this product. This product is a stepping stool to your experience with the company. You know, when you buy, especially for us in the beauty space and the skincare space, a lot of these people that are coming from ads or coming from affiliates, they're buying trial sizes. Mm. They're buying entry packs, a $20 offer for a clean beauty trial that includes, you know, three little bottles that you can try and see if it works for you. But yes, they're placing an order, but we all know that a hotel size bottle, you know, a cleanser is is just, it's just, to, it's a taste to see if you're interested in the brand. And we put every single batch of customers from every single influencer and from every single funnel into their own welcome experience to upsell them on different paths based on their skin type and what they've purchased in the past. Because I know the likelihood of getting them to come back is higher if you kind of handhold them through the experience and and reference what they're experiencing. I I think I love that because I think it's very clear again here that, you know, when when you when you're thinking about planning your campaigns and how you handle people. You're playing for longevity, aren't you? Because you're you're realizing, like, say, you know, with sample the taste have a sort of a sample bottles. That's almost really because there's not, there's not going to be probably masses of margin on that. You're kind of wrapping that into the acquisition cost, but then you're thinking, right, okay, that's fine. We increase it here. The LTV is going to be bigger because we can then nurture them on this longer journey. But you've got to do that nurturing through your email, through your SMS that you guys are doing. Exactly. I mean, you couldn't hit it harder on the nail there. I mean, that's exactly it. So it is part of our acquisition cost. And that's 100% baked into the model. And and I know that I can make the money back on these customers if I get them to purchase one or two full-size products over their time with us. Okay. One of the, probably the, the last thing actually that I wanted to ask you is, see, when we, you know, we, we're talking about retention there and some of the things obviously you're doing veterinary skincare are there any other particular i guess sort of you know must have retention stresses for this year or tools or ideas you think that the brand should be trying yes one is test your test strategically 
And and here's here's one thing I want to be clear about. So many people get tied up on A-B testing. A-B test this and A-B test that and A-B test this and A-B test that. And then you're in this cycle of just A-B testing for the sake of A-B testing. I've gone into companies where they're like, this is our A-B test subject line uh, spreadsheet. And, you know, we, we mark every winner of every subject line here in this spreadsheet. I look at it, oh, there's lots of waste of time. You know, you have to be... You only have a limited amount of time to do what you can do. So you got to be smart with your time. And 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 so many people just A-B test for the sake of A-B testing. When you're testing a subject line and the variance different of it is like 0.002%. It's not worth it. You should A-B test things that matter. So what I recommend people do is A-B test what you're trying to upsell people on. A-B test what you're trying to cross-sell people on. Test those offers against each other and see where you get statistical significance and use that as your North Star because most people, they kind of have their gut feelings of, okay, they're going to buy product A and then, you know what, product B is going to be perfect for them. They're going to buy it and, and you know, we'll put it at 10% off and they'll definitely buy it. No, you got to test it up. You got to test product B at 10%, product B at buy one, get this. You got to test B at buy this and get this 5% off. You got to test all those things to, to figure out what promo works best for you. So so that's that's one thing that I think a lot of people need to do more of that they don't do. And then the second thing is win back. I cannot stress enough how important win back is in not only retention, but just in everybody's customer journey. People think oh, this person purchased from me six months ago, like they're never coming back. It's like six months ago, like I bought this desk pad six months ago. Do I have anything against this brand? Yeah. No, I just don't, I don't want another one right now, but like I definitely remember the company and I use it all the time. So the thing is you have to stay top of mind with these people and you have to put different strategies to bring them back. And, and is it bring them back for replenishment? Is it bring them back to sell them something else so that they have more products from your company. But don't think like, oh, this person, they haven't clicked on an email, they're gone. Or, you know, they haven't purchased in a while. They're gone. No, you're just, you're not sending relevant content to that person. Or maybe they're just not ready and that's it. But then, then tweak your content for those people because, I don't know, a lot of brands get very much in the sell, sell, sell cycle in email and email is not just for selling. It is a communication tool. And so sometimes just sharing information is more powerful than selling. You know, giving something for people to learn about. I mean, in our space, ingredients are such a big play. Our processes are such a big thing. And people really care about it. You know? So it's important to share the information. I'm going to give you an example. And it's not necessarily tied to Winback or anything, but it's on information, which is like I said before, we are one of the cleanest skincare brands out there. We have a coconut honey mask, one of our popular masks. And coconut honey, are, coconut oil and honey are some of the, you know, the, the, the top ingredients in there, also beeswax. And customer reached out to us and they said, you know, well, what we want to know about the, the wellness of the bees. And what is the life of the bees? And do these bees have a good life? And, and we, we, we had a chat internally about it. And we said, you know what? We need to tell people about these bees because to us, sourcing these ingredients is such a big pillar to our brand. 
And this is a conversation that literally a customer asked for. So we put out content about the, the, the wellness of the bees and we put out a blog article about it and we sent out an email campaign about it. And you might think, well, that doesn't have anything to do with selling. And did you sell from that email? I can tell you right now, we, we did pretty well from that email because it is just reiterating our values in a different format. It is showing that yes, you can trust us. And and yes, that trust is real because we actually do care so much about the bees that we went and we we had a chat with our supplier and we sat down with them and we said, hey, you know, we know that you guys have amazing practices and we trust you. And that's why we work with you as a source for beeswax honey. But we need to know about these bees and the entire step of the way and how they're taking care of things like that. So anyways, long story short, it's it. It's not about just selling. You need to provide those those good stories to your customers too, because that's going to build just as much trust and can turn into a future purchase when they're ready. I've, look, yeah, that is an absolutely brilliant story to finish off with, because for me as well, what you're saying is there is you're defining the difference between, for me, marketing and advertising. Yeah, and what you've demonstrated there is that marketing is about a two-way conversation and it's about listening. And I think, you know, unfortunately, e-commerce, we've had a lot of years where there is, there has been that awful policy of sell, 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 advertise, advertise, advertise. And, you know, as we're seeing now for the successful brands, it's got to be the listening and then sharing information back and forth that's going to win. So awesome, awesome episode. Awesome story, Gabe, and thank you so, so much for, for being on the show. If people want to find out more about you or connect with you, what's the best thing for them to do? They can contact me on LinkedIn. I'm on LinkedIn all the time. Fantastic. And guys, if you are listening as well, I'll make sure I include the link to Gabe's profile in the, in the show notes too, so you can have a chat with Gabe uh, in a bit more detail as well. And yeah, guys, a big thank you, obviously, for tuning in this week, Shopify Across the Fund. If you'd like to be listened to, do give us a like or review on the listening platform of your choice. And we'll be here again, same time next week, with another episode of Shop Across the Fund.